from a secret location in room 100 of 540 Jack Gibbs Boulevard, this is Craft. I'm your host, Doug Dangler. Ohio State University Associate Professor of Mathematics, Matthew Kale will be the featured speaker at the Ohio State University's Science Sundays event on February 18th, where he'll discuss Archimedes, mathematical superhero of the ancient world. Dr. Kale's research interests include interactions of topology and geometry with probability, statistical mechanics, and combinatorics. Welcome to Craft, Professor Kale. Thank you. Since your talk will discuss Archimedes, tell me about what got you interested in this historical figure instead of, say, another ancient Greek like Pythagoras, who has his own theory named after him. Sure. So I think that when people think about the greats of um, ancient Greek mathematics, they might think of Pythagoras first, or maybe Euclid. Euclid's Elements is maybe the most celebrated geometry text of all time. But I think if you ask most uh, modern mathematicians who was the greatest mathematician of antiquity, they would say, uh, without hesitation, Archimedes. Uh, he was sort of the greatest of them all. So my my personal interest in Archimedes, I think I started to get interested in him at a summer camp for high school students that I was teaching when I was a graduate student. <clears throat> and one of my friends, Sam Payne, was also teaching there. And he gave a talk about Archimedes that completely blew my mind. And uh, since then, the more I've learned about Archimedes, sort of the more my mind has been blown. What specifically was there about that talk that blew your mind? What brought you into the Archimedes fan club? So I think my friend Sam's talk uh, that I saw several years ago was about uh, a computation that Archimedes did, which was computing the volume of the ball. So there's a formula we have today, which is um, if you have a ball of radius r, its volume is four-thirds pi r cubed. And the way we find that formula is with calculus. So how did Archimedes do it You know, thousands of years ago, supposedly a long time before the invention of calculus? I think the answer is he really did calculus. I mean, there's um, there wasn't some sneaky trick or some way he had to get around calculus. He, he already knew how to differentiate. He already knew how to integrate. And then he did a very tricky integration problem um, to, to find the volume of the ball. And what's amazing to me is I've taught calculus many times, and it's, it's such a classic um, fact that we might have our students try to de um, derive this formula you know, say, tell them some way to find the volume of the ball and kind of give them some direction. But the way that Archimedes did it is thousands of years ago is better than the way we usually show our calculus students how to do it. Have you had any of your calculus students independently do the same kind of calculation that Archimedes did? And you said, wow, that's just like Archimedes. You're a genius. <clears throat> I haven't. And, <laughs> and, but also, um, you know, I remember talking with Sam about this. We we felt like it's such a remarkable proof. The more you think about it, the more amazing it is. And and it may be that no one ever would come up with that proof again. So what he does is he slices, he compares the ball to a cone and a cylinder, which have easier formulas to derive. So he wants to relate the volume of the ball to the volume of a cylinder and a sphere. But the way he gets it all to balance is he literally balances them on a lever. He says, well, if the cylinder's here on the lever and the ball is here and the cone is here, and you go slice by slice and look at this, the area of this circle and the area of this circle, 
the area of this circle, and you multiply by how far out they are from the fulcrum of the lever, everything balances beautifully. I, I just can't imagine. I, I feel like it's it's the kind of dis- scientific discovery that would um, certainly be recognized with a Fields Medal or sort of Nobel Prize if it were done today. Right. It's so far ahead of um, whatever contemporary thinking was. So your talk mentions that Archimedes built a heat ray to burn attacking ship's sails. So did it work? And if so, why don't we hear more about the Archimedes laser? Right. This is a great question. And um, it's actually still a controversial point. Historians debate whether or not Archimedes actually was able to make a, a death ray or not. And and at some point... So it's not a heat ray, it's a death <laughs> ray. So it's just sweeping the decks, burning everything, not just the sails. At some point, Mythbusters, uh, these guys on TV who kind of investigate some questions and try... Um, they asked uh, President Obama what he would like them to try to, you know, what kind of myth he'd like them to bust or to confirm. And this is what Obama said. He said he'd like to know if Archimedes was really able to make a heat ray or not. Is that even physically possible? So they tried to get a bunch of um, shields. So we, we only have accounts of Archimedes doing this, you know, 100, 200 years after it actually happened. So what we think happened was that uh, he had soldiers with their shields very polished and that he had them all kind of catch the sun in the shields and aim them at the ship's sails together and that somehow it would concentrate enough light and heat on the sails to maybe smoke, maybe catch them on fire. So Mythbusters tried this and they weren't able to catch the um, ship sails on fire. So they said, well, busted. And then, you know, some historians say probably what he was actually doing was just flashing light in the eyes of the people sailing the ships. But but then some students at MIT decided they would take up the challenge and they just had bronze shields or um, actually they just had mirrors and then they had a, a wooden, a scaled down wooden ship with a sail and and they had a clever idea that one of the mirrors had a little X kind of inverse etched into it. So it actually shines a bright X onto the side of the ship. And then that's how you aim all the other mirrors. Mm, okay. And then they mm, managed okay. to catch the ship on fire. These MIT students did. So it's still debated whether or not Archimedes was actually able to make a heat ray or a death ray, as I like to call it. But mm. I, I tend to think it was physically possible. And you know, then the question is, could anyone have thought of it? And if anyone could have thought of it, Archimedes could have. How often do you get to find destructive potential like that in the ancient Greek mathematicians with the heat rays, <laughs> death rays? It seems like it ought to be a lot more common given all of the conflict that we're used to reading about from that era. Well, if you could come up with a sort of a deadly application of the Pythagorean theorem or something, you could probably get some big grants from DARPA or you know, Air Force or something. So if it were from Pythagoras, it would be like the triangle of death, (laughs) three sides of doom. So Archimedes also estimated how many grains of sand it would take to fill the universe. How did he go about creating such an estimate, especially at a time where they didn't have scientific notation that would make the documentation or the expression of the numbers so much simpler? than other numbers i imagine it was well so he um this is uh exactly what's interesting about it is that he he needed to uh invent a way to talk about 
very large numbers and um, well before they had scientific notation or even really like base 10 numbers the way we use them today. So how did he do that? So in this text, The Sand Reckoner, he sort of leads us through some exercises about thinking about bigging, bigger and bigger numbers. And, you know, if you multiply enough times, you get what we now have, what we now call exponentiation. So he essentially comes up with a way of talking about exponentiation to realize some very large numbers. But then he makes some speculations about um, the the size of the solar system. And, uh, and then maybe he makes some sort of funny guesses. Maybe the ratio of the whole universe to the size of the solar system is the same as the solar system to the Earth or the solar system to the sun or something like that. And uh, and he's saying, well, suppose it was that large, then how many grains of sand could you fit in the universe? So one of the things that's remarkable is he was interested in astronomy, and uh, one of his contemporaries, Aristarchus, had actually um, computed uh, the distance to the moon and the size of the moon. So I think a lot of people have heard that Eratosthenes had computed the size of the Earth, and the way Eratosthenes did that was by looking at the shadows um, at two different places on the Earth, 50 miles apart on, on the same day of the year. And one of them, it's the summer solstice and there's no shadow. And the other one, the shadow's at some angle. And just from that angle, he's able to reconstruct the size of the Earth. And he was only off by a few percent. This was, you know, again, 2000 years ago. But then Aristarchus took this one step further and he waited for a lunar eclipse and he kind of looks for the size of the shadow that the earth casts against the moon and watches it very carefully and figures out <laughs> how far away the moon is and how big the moon is. So I think then as a, con as a kind of corollary of that thinking, Aristarchus and a few of his contemporaries, I think they knew that it had to be a heliocentric solar system. I'm sure they knew the sun was much bigger than all the other uh, heavenly bodies, all the planets they were looking at, bigger than the moon, and that it, the thing that made the most sense was for the sun to be at the center. And it seems like um, Archimedes actually references Archim um, Aristarchus's uh, work when he does the sand reckoner, when he's trying to estimate the size of the universe, he starts by trying to estimate the size of the solar system, they knew it was quite large. So that's already, you know, remarkable. It's very, it's really remarkable that they're able to figure out how far away the moon is just with naked eye observations. Yeah. And it's interesting what they chose to use, uh, for example, how many grains of sand versus something larger that would be easier to calculate, like how many earths would it take to fill the uh, solar system or the, the universe. <clears throat> but I suppose you use what's common and at hand. Right. And I think Archimedes maybe is showing off a little bit like this is maybe the biggest number we could imagine, like, you know, the size of the universe and how are we going to measure it in terms of smaller things? The smallest thing maybe I could imagine is a grain of sand. And this is well before we have microscopes or anything to see things smaller than sand. So but one thing that's kind of amazing is he made some guesses about the size of our solar system and the relative size of things. <laughs> but in the end, he's not far off as to how many grains of sand we think could fill the universe uh, today. So that means that somebody has done this recently and come up with some sort of number for how many grains of sand it would take to fill the universe. Is that like one to the millionth power or something? Right. So I think the ballpark is somewhere around 
10 to the 60, maybe 10 to the 80 or some, something like that. Uh, I mean, I think even if you take the volume of the known universe and divide by, say, the size of a proton, I think you still get something less than 10 to 100. I think it's like 10 to the 90 or something. But I think Archimedes' answer is very wordy because they didn't have the concise notation we have today. But I think in modern notation, I think it would work out to be something like 10 to the 60. And I think it's not far, you know, maybe a modern physicist would say it's not far from the truth. I think maybe they would come up with 10 to the 65. Or It's just amazing that it's it's even in the same ballpark. So how are the ideas of Archimedes still relevant to your work, say in your day-to-day research at The Ohio State University? How are his ideas something that you come back to or contemplate? One thing that's come up in um, recent years that Archimedes did people didn't know that he had done before is um, what we would now consider combinatorics. So I was saying before, I think he had basically discovered calculus, even though everyone says, you know, maybe Newton or Leibniz discovered calculus. It was a continuum of ideas, and many of the most important ideas were there 2,000 years ago. And uh, combinatorics is an even more modern um, area of mathematics and something that my research involves uh, a lot. But it, uh, the, this palimpsest was recovered a few years ago. They um, and they they recovered one of Archimedes' lost texts. And in there, uh, there's this puzzle, and it's a square dissected into a number of smaller pieces. Uh, and he asks, "How many ways are there to rearrange them?" and into a square, you know, sort of how many ways are there to solve this puzzle? And it's a very kind of contemporary kind of question. It's something that people say that combinatorics wasn't done until the 20th century, or sometimes people will say the great Swiss mathematician Euler did some kind of early combinatorics in the 18th century. But uh, now we think that Archimedes was interested in these kinds of questions. So the basic question of... um, not just can you do something or not do something, but how many ways are there to do something is sort of the heart of enumerative combinatorics. And uh, this lost text of Archimedes that uh, was recently recovered is our earliest known historical example of um, enumerative combinatorics. But it's something I still think about every day. Well, Matthew Kale, I thank you very much for talking to me today on Craft, and we're really looking forward to your talk at Ohio State University's Science Sundays on February 18th, and the topic of which will be Archimedes, mathematical superhero of the ancient world. Thank you. For more information from my guests, visit www.crafttheshow.com. This is Doug Dangler. Until next time, be creative. <laughs>